2018 You need to be seen It's time to come to the aid of America In 2018 Be part of the team It's time to come to the aid of America Go to the polls and cast your vote Hello, welcome to your voting guide by the League of Women Voters This is Vivian Hart And I will be your host on behalf of the League of Women Voters of Greater Tucson we are a nonpartisan organization, and we encourage citizens to be informed about and active in our government. The reason why we are nonpartisan is because we do not support any particular political party or candidate. Our goal with this program is to present unbiased information about candidates, the issues, and our voting process relating to the upcoming midterm election on November 6th. Now you know November 6th is right around the corner, so make sure you vote. We're delighted today to have two candidates who are running for statewide positions. First, I'm going to interview Katie Hobbs, who's running for Secretary of State. Second, I'm going to interview January Contreras, who's running for Attorney General. I do want to tell you that we contacted Steve Gaynor, who's also running for Secretary of State, and Mark Burnovich, who's also running for Attorney General, several times, and they never did respond to any of the ways that we contacted them. This is the role of the Arizona Secretary of State. In Arizona, the Secretary of State is charged with various administrative duties, primarily related to elections and to maintenance of the state's official records. The Secretary's election duties include certifying voting devices and statewide election results, candidates, and ballot measures. The Secretary also serves as acting governor when the governor is absent from Arizona and is first in line to succeed the governor in the event of death, resignation, or removal from office. This has happened four times since Arizona became a state, most recently in 2009 when Secretary of State Jan Brewer succeeded Governor Janet Napolitano. This is Vivian Hart with the League of Women Voters of Greater Tucson, and I'm speaking today with Katie Hobbs, a candidate for Secretary of State. Welcome, Ms. Hobbs. Thank you so much for having me. So I'd like to start out with the question of why are you uniquely qualified to be the Secretary of State of Arizona? Well, I spent my whole career as a social worker and in the legislature uh, working to make government work better for the people of Arizona. And uh, I decided to run for Secretary of State for that very reason, because the office obviously is not working for Arizonans. There's been a, a huge level of mismanagement and incompetence there. But I believe my time as a social worker, uh, as the chief compliance officer for one of the largest domestic violence shelters in the country where I had to juggle multiple complex projects, make sure that we are complying with all of the laws and regulations that came along with the federal and state dollars that we got, the licensing requirements that we had to maintain to keep our doors open and be able to provide services for thousands of victims and their children who are fleet violence. That, combined with my time in the legislature and as the ranking member of the Elections Committee in the Senate, is the skill uh, and knowledge uh, and experience needed uh, to successfully turn around the incompetence and manage the Secretary of State's office so that our elections are secure, fair, and efficient, 
and that every single eligible voter in the state of Arizona, Democrat, Republican, or Independent, is able to cast their ballot and know that their vote is counted. What changes would you make, and what would you keep the same in the Secretary of State's office if you're elected? Oh, wow. So there, there really is so much that needs to be done just to turn around the mismanagement that's happened over the last four years under the current secretary. So what I would do on day one is order a top-to-bottom review of the office and the different areas, what needs to be improved, what's not working well for the members of the public who use those services. So it's not just elections. If you're filing a, a trademark, if you're uh, a notary public, if you're filing campaign finance reports, none of those things are working very well for the end users. So there's a lot of things that need to be fixed. So ordering that top-to-bottom review and putting together an action plan of how we can address those areas. I would make sure to involve stakeholders at every level. Collaboration is really important in this role and make sure that we are involving the end users in what we are putting together to make all of those services work better. Uh, In terms of elections, First of all, we need to make sure that before we take on new projects, that what we are doing, that we are fixing the problems that exist right now. But beyond that, we need to be doing a lot more to make sure that voting is more accessible to every eligible voter in the state of Arizona. So that's working with the county recorders. And speaking of county recorders, working to fix those relationships as well, because that's been a problem. So working with county recorders to expand Um, access to early voting and improving mail-in balloting so that uh, uh, it's easier for voters, as well as making sure that on election day, things are running smoothly. That means working collaboratively with the county recorders so that they can do their job and that they have plans and contingency plans. And the bottom line is that voters don't have to wait two hours in line or more to cast their ballot and exercise that fundamental democratic right. We also need to do a lot more on election security. We've heard a lot about that recently because of Russian interference in uh, our systems. But it's not just securing the systems at the front end, the the voter registration information, the, the electronic poll book information, but it's on the back end too. And this is not a new problem. It's something that we should have been doing all along, but making sure that we have a robust audit procedures with uh, statistically significant uh, numbers to make sure that we are catching any undetected manipulation that may have occurred and that our election results are accurate. I know in Pima County, we have an audit. All the parties get together, the political parties get together and have representatives from their party do an audit of the votes Mm -hmm. after every election, after every major election. So it is an important thing to do. Well, and every every election security expert, you know, that, that is an important part tool, but Arizona's needs to be much more robust. So we are doing it uh, at some level, but we need to improve that. Do you feel that voter fraud is a problem in Arizona? And if so, what would you do to make sure that doesn't happen? Voter fraud is an issue that every single election official needs to be concerned about. The reality is that in the last eight years in Arizona, there have only been 22 prosecuted cases of voter fraud. And every single one of those was somebody who owned land in Arizona and another state, land or property, and felt entitled to vote uh, in both states. As the chief election officer of the state, uh, I would, again, be working closely with the county recorders so we are addressing 
any voter fraud issues that come up. And then if we need to address those things legislatively, because maybe they're not already covered uh, in our state statute, working with the legislature to, uh, to address that. As I understand it, about half of the eligible voters don't vote. So what would you do as Secretary of State to increase voter turnout? Uh, yes, increasing voter turnout, uh, engaging voters at every level is a really important part of the Secretary of State's office. We need voters to feel confident in our election system, that they're secure, that they're fair, and that they're efficient. Those are the things that, that are barriers to people's participation. We need to do that outreach and transparency so that voters have that level of confidence. But again, as the chief election officer of the state and the holder of that very sacred fundamental right in our democracy, making sure that as many people are participating in that as possible is foundational to the job. So currently, Arizona law limits the ability of people to help others mail in their ballots unless the helper is a family member or a household member or a caregiver for the voter. And in the past, different people and organizations, including political parties, did help with delivering ballots that were filled out. Do you think the new law is an improvement over past practice? Why or why not? Well, I was in the Senate when that law passed, and I um, am on the record opposing that law. And the the fact is that the the kind of voting fraud that that law was um, supposedly supposed to address was already illegal under existing law. So there was no need to make a new felony. This, this is a law that makes a felony out of friends and neighbors trying to help someone vote. And uh, there was no need for that because it, those kinds of fraud were already covered under existing law. This law simply makes it harder for eligible people to vote. I am speaking with Katie Hobbs. She is running for Secretary of State. Now, there are three states that have all mail-in ballots. There are no mm-hmm. polling places for people to to vote on Election Day. It's all mail-in. That's Colorado, Washington, and Oregon. Do you think having all mail-in ballots in Arizona is a good idea? I certainly think it's a policy that um, our legislature should be looking at. It it is something that would would require statutory change either through the legislature or by ballot initiative. Um, I have a couple concerns, and if those concerns could be addressed, then I would say yes, it's we should look look at doing that. The first is that there are a number of people who um, who going to the polling place on election day is something that is a ritual for them. It's how they want to vote. And I am all for people being able to vote, for every eligible voter to be able to vote in the way that is easy and convenient and meaningful to them. And so I what I hesitate to do is take away that polling place for the for the people that it's very meaningful to. So if we can sort of find a way to address that issue, yes. And then the other thing is hard to reach areas where mail is not necessarily regular or accessible every day to people. Um, and this is the same kind of communities that the, the law we just talked about sort of um, hurt. The Navajo Reservation is an example. There's a mail center. Uh, there's really bad roads uh, and not necessarily reliable transportation for everybody. Uh, so to go get your mail and drop it back off. Uh, and then um, in the situation where they had an all-mail election and also a polling place, the closest polling place was 200 miles from one person that was interviewed's house. So mm. so that makes voting harder. 
And so if we can fix those issues, then, um, then yes, I, the, and I, these are obviously all things that would come up in the policy discussion if this was a, a, a policy decision that the legislature decided to make. During the last several years, many Arizona voters have experienced difficulty, either accessing information or voting, not getting their ballot brochures, uh, describing the propositions before the voting began, uh, having long lines at the polls, and, mm-hmm. and people leaving early because of that. So yeah. what would you do to make sure that the election process is ac- adequately funded, that mm-hmm. everything, that the information is in people's hands, and that there are no long lines? Mm-hmm. Well, I think, first of all, uh, going into the office with the idea that the voters are central to the election process and always keeping the voters at the forefront. So how do we get the voters the information they need and, and make sure and, and and I don't I don't believe that we have room to mess this up because you don't get a do over in an election. So we have to plan ahead, manage with the resources that we have, always fighting for more because resources are always going to be an issue. We can't mess it up. We have to get it right. And so and that's just about managing effectively. That's about planning ahead, being proactive, and working collaboratively with the county recorders, because a lot of this is, you know, their job on the ground. But um, making sure, again, that you're fighting for the resources for them so that they have it, and that, you know, that there's plans and contingency plans, so the mess-ups that we've seen aren't happening, because those are things that keep people from going to the polls, or if they're at the polls, keep them from voting. Yes. I'm Vivian Hart with the League of Women Voters. I'm speaking with Katie Hobbs, who's running for the Secretary of State. So I want to ask you one more question, and it's about the initiative process. Mm -hmm. In 2017, the Arizona legislature passed a statute requiring that persons using the initiative process must strictly comply with constitutional and statutory requirements for Mm -hmm. statewide initiative measures. Now, previously... Arizona courts, just like courts in other states, um, our courts found that the mistakes complained about were relatively minor and did not mislead petition signers or voters. And, mm-hmm. and they said that if there was substantial compliance, the initiative was allowed on the ballot so that Arizona voters could decide whether to approve or reject the measure. Which approach do you think is better for Arizona voters, either strict compliance with constitutional and statutory requirements, or the more permissive substantial compliance, which allows greater judicial discretion? Well, look, I, again, am on the record opposing this law when it was passed by the legislature in 2017. And that law was a direct attack on on the voters' constitutional right, this is a right that's in the Arizona Constitution for the voters of Arizona, to bring ballot measures forward. So it, it, it wasn't about eliminating fraud or reducing fraud or whatever. It was really about undermining the right to do that and to make it harder to do. And we've, we've seen that play out this year on ballot measures uh, this year. Quite honestly, that I think that the uh, resolution of that is still up in the air because three of the ballot measures that were in court, the substantial compliance issue came up and there were conflicting rulings. And at the end of the day, no decisions were made based on that ruling. And so on those rulings, I think that it attacks judicial discretion 
Uh, I'm surprised judges would be okay with that. So I don't think it's better or worse. I posed a bill, and it's because it was about making it harder for citizen initiatives. Thank you very much, Ms. Hobbs. I appreciate you being with us today. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. This is Vivian Hart with the League of Women Voters of Greater Tucson. I've been speaking with Katie Hobbs. She's running for Secretary of State. The role of the Arizona Attorney General. The Attorney General serves as the chief legal officer of the state. The Attorney General's office represents and provides legal advice to most state agencies, enforces consumer protection and civil rights laws, and prosecutes criminals charged with complex financial crimes and certain conspiracies involving illegal drugs. In addition, all appeals statewide from felony convictions are handled by this office. The Arizona Attorney General's Office, through the Child and Family Protection Division, provides legal services to all the divisions of the Department of Economic Security, including the Division of Child Support Services. It also provides legal services to the Department of Child Safety. The Attorney General's Office brings and defends lawsuits on behalf of the state and prepares formal legal opinions requested by state officers, legislators, or county attorneys on issues of law. The Attorney General's Office has jurisdiction over Arizona's Consumer Fraud Act, White Collar Crime, Organized Crime, Public Corruption, Environmental Laws, Civil Rights Laws, and Crimes Committed in More Than One County. Additionally, this office prosecutes cases normally handled by county attorneys when they have a conflict. Hello, I have with me today January Contreras, Democratic candidate for Attorney General of the State of Arizona. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here with you today. Thanks for taking it on to let voters know what their options are. That's right. Well, the League of Women Voters is nonpartisan, so we try our best to present all the information to the voters in a nonpartisan manner. My first question is, why are you uniquely qualified to be our Attorney General? Well, I think we have to remember what the Attorney General is and why that role is so important right now in our nation and our state's history. The Attorney General is really there to be the lawyer for the people of Arizona. And so whether it's consumer protection or embezzlement or scams, or, you know, organized crime, um, all these kinds of things that happen. Uh, the attorney general is there to fight for, for you, for the individual. And so how that makes me uniquely qualified is just taking a look at what I have done um, with my career, what I have chosen to do, because my entire career has been in public service and fighting for the people of Arizona. Uh, my background is as a deputy county attorney, a county prosecutor here in Maricopa County. Uh, as an assistant attorney general, I prosecuted health care fraud and abuse and exploitation of uh, the elderly. I went on to serve Governor Janet Napolitano in the governor's office uh, and at the Department of Homeland Security when she was the secretary, and then came home and started a legal aid center where we're free lawyers to kids and youth dealing with homelessness, abuse, trafficking in the foster care system. 
Um, you know, I'm also a mom. I'm a mom of two teenage sons. I'm a fourth-generation Arizonan. Uh, you know, all of those things come together to tell voters that, you know, I love this state. It is my home. My family has been here for generations. I come from a, a family of public servants. And that's what I feel called to do is to uh, fight for the people around me. That's why I became a lawyer in the first place. And so I would say, um, more than anything, it's what drives me in my work that makes me uniquely qualified. Because we, especially in these times, there's so many hidden agendas around us. You know, it's time that we elect people who are only beholden to voters. What changes would you make? And what would you keep the same in the Attorney General's office if you're elected? I think the number one change that you would get in a January Contreras administration is we'd get out of this business of partisan politics. It is not the legacy of the Attorney General's office. If we think back to a, a Corbin, a Grant Woods, and a Politano, a Goddard, these are uh, men and women who treated the Attorney General's office with the dignity and the professionalism that it deserves. Now what we see is, you know, our Attorney General's office is suing to eliminate the Affordable Care Act. Well, that Affordable Care Act is the only guarantee that people with pre-existing health conditions have to be able to access health care. 600,000 Arizonans will lose their health care if Mark Burnovich is successful in his lawsuit to eliminate the Affordable Care Act. Um, that's not the job of the Attorney General's office. And so, you know, we start there by representing the people working in the interest of families right here in Arizona, not in the special interests and corporate interests out there. What would we do differently? I mean, that's, that's a big part of the same question there is making sure that we are not uh, being partisan in the work, making sure that we are making it clear to Arizonans that this is their office. The Attorney General's office is there for them to defend them, their safety, their rights as consumers, their civil rights. Uh, and those are responsibilities that I take very seriously. What do you see as the one or two most critical issues that need to be addressed in this position? Uh, I do think, you know, what I just mentioned around this partisanship, it's just such a dangerous precedent to set for the Attorney General's office. And so the partisanship just needs to stop. Uh, right now, the Attorney General's office is defending secrecy of donors to the Koch Brothers Network. I mean, what business does the Attorney General's office have defending secrecy for donors? So that, that's a big one. Secondly, you know, in Arizona, uh, the Attorney General's office has involvement in every single uh, case where a child enters the foster care system. Um, I have served many kids in the foster care system or young adults who had been in it through the nonprofit that I started. And I've also prosecuted cases in nursing homes. And so for me, making sure that we are protecting our most vulnerable, our kids in the foster care system, and and our seniors and folks with disabilities in nursing homes. It's a huge priority for me as we go forward. What do you plan to do to fight opioid and heroin use and addiction in Arizona? Well, I think we have to start with holding the people who are profiting off of this 
epidemic accountable. And so, you know, there are there's some work going on right now to shut down some of the, the manufacturing, the, the drug making that is happening and the drug trafficking that is happening right here in Arizona. And we could be doing a lot more to make sure that we're holding the uh, drug companies, the drug manufacturers and distributors accountable as well. Now we also um, need to do our best to, to stop the flow of opioids because that is what is typically leading to heroin abuse. The legislature and the governor came up with some measures to try to take that on. We, we just saw the data recently and that's that the number of people abusing and being harmed by opioids um, continues to rise. So we have to do more to stop the flow and that means not being beholden to special and corporate interests but going after these drug manufacturers and distributors when it can be proven that, you know, they were profiting off of this with with a lot of knowledge about what was going to happen um, with their product. Also, we need to make sure that we're doing more to make treatment available because um, there are places in Arizona, you know, I've met with rural law enforcement and they don't have any treatment facilities that are close to them. And we need that because every family in Arizona should have the opportunity to have the support that's needed to kick this addiction if it's already entered their family. Here's another specific question. What is your position on repealing mandatory sentencing? You know, I think sometimes people don't understand exactly what the sentencing laws are, and that's understandable. We don't have like a three strikes or out as some states do. What we do have is truth in sentencing, meaning that if somebody is given a certain sentence, then they have to serve most of that sentence. You know, I think we need to make sure that if there are changes to sentencing laws, that we are keeping in place the protection for public safety for, for, from those that are most capable of doing harm. You know, violent offenders, sexual offenders. We need to make sure that when people are coming up with solutions that we're recognizing there's a difference in um, the types of crimes that people are in prison for. And I think, you know, we need to think of the other side of that, not just when they're being sentenced, but how do you keep people from getting there? I do think sometimes that comes back to, you know, our state has got to be committed to more treatment for mental health issues and more treatment for drug addiction. Uh, and, and our courts in, in the counties here have been moving forward with specialized courts that are there with some support for people who have mental health issues or drug addiction. Veterans courts, so that we can um, make sure that we're providing as much support as possible, linking them with some service providers. Uh, and I think we need to make sure that we're investing in those in an increased way even, because those are very important solutions for our state. The next question has to do with guns. What will you do to keep guns out of the hands of people with dangerous histories, including felonies, domestic abusers, and people with dangerous mental illness? I mean, this is an area I know well, not just as a former prosecutor, but when I was running the Legal Aid Center, uh, the cases I handled most often were uh, young moms, more than anything, who were in abusive 
uh, or trafficking situations. And, you know, I, I have seen cases where, you know, the, the threat of being killed uh, was a very real threat for some of my clients. And so I think what we need to do is, first of all, we need to have universal background checks. There's bipartisan support for that. We should be um, talking about that as a state and not being, you know, not digging our head in the sand and to, to avoid speaking about solutions. Um, that is a solution we should be talking about. So when it comes to people who have been identified as very specific high-risk threats, we do need to be able to work with our courts. They need the ability, law enforcement needs the ability to identify who shouldn't have access to a gun if, in fact, it's clear that they're capable or, or are a high risk of harming someone or themselves. It is the, the right way forward, and I know there was some talk about it at the legislature this past session, but not any uh, resolution. I really look forward to being a part of those conversations and sharing the experience that I've had as a prosecutor and as a lawyer to victims of crime, because it is one of the reasonable solutions that most people should be able to come to the table to, to discuss and to move forward with. You mentioned the elderly a little bit ago, and Arizona has one of the highest populations of elderly citizens in the country. What would you do to fight elder abuse and crimes of exploitation of the elderly in our state? Um, yeah, well, I had the privilege of prosecuting cases of elder exploitation and elder abuse, and it's tough to watch that there are people who want to get their hands on someone's life savings or people who can be abusive to our vulnerable communities, but there are people who are that. In Arizona, we are a state that's targeted often for scams, for fraud, uh, because we have a lot of seniors. There are a lot of seniors who choose to call Arizona home. Uh, and so what we need to do at the Attorney General's office is, is to be vigilant. One of the best models I've seen is when attorneys general are using uh, the community to be a part of the solution so that we're multiplying our forces and training community members on what to look for. You know, what is the latest scam that's out there? Uh, and, and they go and they train their own friends, their neighbors, their family, uh, and help us make sure that we're reporting what's coming back. You know, I met someone during this campaign maybe two months ago now whose father received a sweepstakes entry in the mail, and he filled it out, and he included his checking account information, and it cost him $14,000. Uh, and we need to be willing to take on those cases because we know that if he was taken for 14000 someone else was taken on uh, for that or more. So, you know, I'm very committed to making sure that we are making it clear to the people out there who want to take advantage of our elderly that this is not the state to do it because they will get caught and they will be held accountable. One of the problems that we have in Arizona is gang violence. What will you do to combat gang violence in Arizona? When it comes to gang violence, like the opioid um, issues, it's one where a lot of collaboration is necessary. Local law enforcement, rural law enforcement, tribal law enforcement, and, and making sure that we're all working together on that. Federal as well. 
there's a an approach that involves prevention in the first place, intervention, if you see someone early involved in gang violence, and then suppression. Uh, when you have sort of, you know, people who are really, they're not going anywhere else. This is the, the space for them in terms of being involved with a violent gang. And then you have to, you know, make sure that we're um, holding them accountable, that we're working with law enforcement to identify them, to shut down gang violence. You know, I work, I've served many human trafficking survivors, and what we've seen in other states is a real close tie to violent gangs and trafficking. Uh, And we don't want that to happen here in Arizona. So it's important that we're sharing information with law enforcement and that the Attorney General's office is supporting local law enforcement in their own efforts so that we're, you know, making this, we're strengthening the state's ability to uh, go after this kind of violence. Finally, I have one more question, and that is, why should people vote for you? Well, I ask for people's support because we need an attorney general who's focused on the people of Arizona. The attorney general's office is, is a special place, and especially in this time in our nation's history where we see sometimes the Constitution is being violated by the very people who are in office and passing laws. We need to be able to stop unconstitutional legislation, unconstitutional policies from happening. You know, what I see is that the courts and the lawyers are increasingly mattering more than ever because they're deciding some of the biggest issues. You know, when we look at this separation of kids and parents at the border, for example, you could see very quickly or I could as a lawyer, that a court was going to stop this, that there's too many rights that a parent and a child have. But what what if the court wasn't there? What if the, the Democratic attorneys generals around the state who did step forward, you know, weren't there to do that? I think there are many issues where the attorney general is going to be the check and balance. When there is no other check and balance, in state or, or federal government, and they you know have to be judicious in deciding how do you approach issues. Sometimes it's going to be a conversation. Sometimes it's going to be a letter. Sometimes it's going to be a proposal. Sometimes it's going to be litigation, um, advice. But the, the attorney general's office just has to have someone that's willing to be an independent voice uh, when no one else is holding people accountable in government. And, you know, that's what I've been doing of my career. I've been uh, working as a prosecutor, working under the leadership of Janet Napolitano as an advisor to her, starting a nonprofit for kids and young people. And going to the attorney general's office is, is another space where every day I will be there to fight for the people of Arizona and for the Constitution, uh, because those are the two biggest responsibilities that the attorney general has. This has been January Contreras. Thank you very much, Ms. Contreras, for speaking with us today. I am really pleased that you uh, had some time to speak with us. Thank you so much. Thank you so very much for listening today. We hope you have learned something new about the candidates. You've been listening to KXCI 91.3 FM. All episodes of this series are on kxci.org. And they'll be on that after they are broadcast. This show is recorded and produced by Amanda Schager. Today I interviewed Katie Hobbs, 
who's running for Secretary of State, and January Contreras, who's running for Attorney General. We contacted Steve Gaynor, running for Secretary of State, and Mark Bernovich, running for Attorney General, several times, and they didn't respond to any of the ways that we tried to contact them. Following the election, in the next three weeks, we're going to have programs about national voting issues, voting issues that affect the entire nation. So please tune in next week at the same time. You can learn more about the League of Women Voters at our website, lwvgt.org. And I do want to remind you, if you have not turned in your ballot, make sure you take it to one of the recorder's offices throughout the county or take it to a polling place, any polling place, on the day of the election this coming Tuesday. And if you did not receive an early ballot, go to the polls and cast your vote. It's time to have your say. Let your voice be heard now. It's time to create a wonderful way. And it's your vote, your say, that is going to make a difference. Be sure to vote. This is Vivian Hart with the League of Women Voters of Greater Tucson.